Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. How many of you are thankful for the Word? Amen. How many of you cracked open the Word today? Amen. All right, so you're starving then. Nobody raised their hands. Everybody was just like, you gave me this like ambiguous look. I couldn't tell if you did or not. I will ask you one more time. How many of you opened the word of God today? Amen. Praise you, Jesus. I pray, and I'll, I'll say this because we've got two more Wednesdays, I believe, in 2022. Am I right? I believe. We've got two more Wednesdays in 2022. And I pray throughout this past year, the Lord has spoken to your hearts uh, in every service, you know, men's and women's and Wednesdays and Sundays, and I pray that you have grown in the Lord. Amen. This should be the objective is that we are continually growing uh, in Jesus, that we're continually growing uh, in the likeness of the Lord. Amen. And so I'm thankful tonight. Tonight we're going to continue and we're going to conclude also the series that we, I've been doing on Wednesday nights for the past several weeks. And so we've been talking about the Beatitudes, and, and I can't review everything with you. So I pray, how many of you guys are note takers? How many of y'all take notes, amen? Hey, guess what? Your notes are going to remember a lot more than, than this thing will, okay? So if you take notes, and I would encourage you, if you're not a note taker, hey, in Jesus' name, we're going to cross over into the threshold of a new year, and we can begin to take notes, amen? And we can begin to just study the word that much deeper. But I want to get into part nine of tonight's message and, uh, and I only have a few minutes to speak to you, so hopefully we'll be able to get through everything that the Lord has for us tonight. Amen. Who's been here for every part of this series? Has anybody been here for every service? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, a few, a few. So then the rest of you are like, all right, I come and go, and I come and I go. It's a good thing. I pray that if you don't get to watch service or don't get to be in service, you get to watch it afterwards. Amen. You'll gain something from it. But I want to encourage you, again, to keep your notes, study them, take them home, collect the whole set, do whatever you got to do, but just keep them because God's word is that important. Amen? His word is that important. And so I'll get into the word tonight and ask this question. You don't have to answer it, but uh, I'm sure you'll have an answer in your mind. How many of you have ever been picked on? Just think about that for a second. Yeah, you can raise your hand, not raise your hand. How many of you have ever been maybe ridiculed? or teased, or made fun of because of your belief in Jesus. Amen. You remember those times when, you know, you, you told all your friends, you know, you, you, you were bold before him. You said, yeah, you know what, I, I profess Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I'm a Christian. I don't do the things that I used to do. I don't act the way that I used to act. I don't go to the places that I used to go. And in that moment, I guarantee that almost every single one of us had that moment of people going like, Really? People that would look at you, they would say, really? Like, you're one of those people now. You're one of those believers. You're one of those Jesus freaks. You're one of those people that, that has changed your life. And, 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 and I guarantee that as you've stood on the foundation of the word of God and, and as you've begun to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that over time, you know, there's people that may eventually kind of respect and honor the fact that you are a God-honoring person, but there's still people that you may come across paths with on a daily basis that, that don't honor you. Maybe they ridicule you. Maybe they make fun of you. Maybe they say, oh, come on. You're still the same person. Come on, you can still do the things that you used to do. You can still say the things that you used to say. You, you can still go to the places that you used to go. And people will, will criticize you because of your belief in God. Maybe there's a, a horrible thing that happens in our nation or, or in the earth or, or, or something or even in your family life. And they see how you stand upon your faith in Jesus. And some people will even call you a fool for doing so. Because they'll see the fact that you're still grounded. You're not blown away by everything that happens in this world. And because you have a foundation in Jesus, people, they get uh, upset about that at times. They'll look at you and say, how come you're not mad about it? How come you're not frustrated about that? How come you're not angry because the boss hasn't given anybody a raise? And you're like, I've got the peace of Jesus in my heart. 
doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter because guess what? We know that this world is just a temporary place. And we're just passing through because one day we're going to rule and reign with Jesus in heaven forever. But people, there are times that people will criticize you. They'll mock you. They'll say things about your life, about your family, and all these things. Because now you take your salvation and now you take your relationship with God serious. You know, the Bible tells us to work out our salvation with what? With fear and with trembling. Amen? That's because there's going to be moments that you'll fear. There's going to be moments of stress. There's going to be moments of uneasiness and worry. Because the truth is, is in our relationship with Jesus, there is a possibility of failure and of falling. There is always the chance that you will slip up, that you will make a mistake, that you, you know, will profess to, to, to want to do one thing, but you won't do it. It's kind of like Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I do, because there's this law of sin at work in my life. The things that I don't want to do, I still do. The things that I do want to do, I can't do, you know, and there's this battle that's going on in his life and in our lives. And every single day, it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge to, to, to get up and say, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus, even if it seems that the entire world is going in the other direction. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to follow him. I've given my whole life for him. The apostle said in Hebrews, he said, to not ignore such a great salvation. To not ignore this very treasure, it's what, it's what we live for. The fact that Jesus would give his life, that he would die upon a cross for our sins. Make it personal, say my sins. That he would die for your sins and my sins. And the apostle reminds us, he says, how can we ignore such a great salvation? This thing is everything. This is your ticket to eternal life. This is your ticket into the realms of heaven, into the blessings of God, into salvation of being able to one day lay your crown down at the feet of Jesus. This is what it's all for, and we can't ignore such a great salvation, church. We can't overlook it no matter who publicly criticizes us, no matter because somebody shames you for having your faith in Jesus. The word says even during those times in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Everybody say, I am blessed. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. He says, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. How many of you revere Christ as Lord? Amen. That is, you revere him. You, you have a healthy fear and reverence because you know that he is Lord. This means to set aside in our hearts a place where Christ can fully be honored as Lord. Where he can fully be honored as Lord. It goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, you will be criticized because you have hope in hopeless moments. Amen. You will be mocked and ridiculed because you have faith in a moment where nobody else has faith. I remember getting some pretty ugly looks about two years ago in the summer of 2020. I don't know about you. I'd go to the Lowe's and I'd go to HB and I didn't have a mask on and I wasn't worried about all that stuff. And people would look at me. I'm an asthmatic for crying out loud. I should be the most scared guy of all that stuff that they wanted me to be afraid of. Listen, I'd rather have a healthy fear of Jesus than a fear of anything in this world. I would rather be more concerned with doing right before God than doing right in the eyes of man. Because at the end of the day, man does not save us. Somebody say amen. At the end of the day, the man is not going to save you. The government's not going to save you. Politicians ain't going to save you. Guess what? They don't even care. Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord over all. He encompasses everything. The government, the Bible says, the book of Isaiah, would be placed upon his shoulders. He's over everything, church. 
And because he's over everything, we are to revere him as Lord. We're always to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of hope that we have. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. The Bible tells us that persecution is something that will follow everybody that bears the name of Jesus. Now, this is not going to be the most like, nice and encouraging and fluffy message that I've ever preached to you. But I have to tell you the honest truth. You will be persecuted in this world. I'll say it one more time. You will be persecuted because of your faith and your belief in Jesus in this life. If nobody's told you this yet, and you think that your faith in Jesus is all about what you can get and not what you can give, then my friend, you've been taught wrong. We are going to live in this life, and I have to tell you this because I believe we're nearing times, church. We're nearing seasons where the persecution is going to ramp up. And I'm going to teach you something tonight that's really important for us to understand and us to receive into our hearts. Because right now in other parts of the world, there's people that are dying for their faith in Jesus. And we might be like, you know what, okay, well, that's in that part of the world. You know, that may never happen here, but listen to me, church. It's going to happen. I don't say that as a death wish. I don't say that as something, you know, you know, I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative Nancy. I'm just giving you the reality of what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. The Bible tells us that persecution is something that we will face if we live as Jesus lived. And it's a matter of fact that we will all endure it. That definition of being persecuted means to endure suffering for Christ. To be mocked, ridiculed, criticized, ostracized, and to be treated with hostility to be martyred. How many of you know what martyred means? If you don't know what it means, it means that you will die for your faith in Jesus. And the simple definition. Matthew 5 and verse 10. Let's continue on in these Beatitudes in this verse tonight. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Say it one more time. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now notice it says because of righteousness and not foolishness. <laughs> There's a lot of people that get persecuted and get hated on just because they're fools. Jesus said that we are to what? We are to always be able to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that we have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Amen. Jesus also said that to be wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. Amen. Jesus also told us that if somebody hits you on one cheek, that you would turn to him the other. Jesus also said to not retaliate. Do we understand what Jesus is telling us to do? Yes? Okay, let's keep going. We are supposed to what? Be persecuted because of righteousness and not foolishness. Now, there's a lot of people that would say and do things that Jesus would have never said or done. And they don't get themselves into persecution. They get themselves into self-execution. They get themselves caught up in things that Jesus would have never done. Now, that doesn't mean that you just stay quiet and you just stay safe all the time because there's going to be a moment where you have to stand, where you have to be bold about your faith in Jesus. Listen, and I don't want to go too far, but, but you know, we're going to get there in just a second. But we're thinking and, and understanding this, this point is really important to get. Because if you think that, you know, you're, you're like, oh, yeah, man, I'll go to the grave for Jesus. No, 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 hold on a second. Don't go that far ahead if you won't even talk to somebody at Walmart about him. Don't get that far ahead of yourself to think, oh, man, you know, I don't need to hear this talk about persecution because I'm ready, you know, I'm a soldier in God's army. I'm ready to die for the Lord. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. We need to check ourselves, and the Lord's going to show us in his word what we need to understand about this. But it goes on to say, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, 
when they persecute you and when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's because of Jesus. Verse 12, he goes on to say, Rejoice, though, and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That definition of, of being persecuted, it shows us a progressive process, a continual process that would eventually lead to the death of oneself. First it started with criticizing, it started with ridiculing, it started with mockery, it started with all these things, and eventually it would lead to the death of oneself. And I don't know if you realize this, or maybe you forgot you know, what the word says, but the apostles didn't have new houses and cars and lands. <laughs> Amen? You know, Paul wasn't like, you know, like on, you know, MTV's cribs or anything. You know, he wasn't showing off his mansion. He wasn't showing off all these things. The only thing that Paul had to, to speak about was Christ and Christ crucified and the chains that he had on his arms. The individuals that wrote these, these books that you've read, at one time or another, every single one of them was persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. You got Elijah living in caves. You got David running for his life. You got all these different men of God and all these different women of God. You got people that were, you know, Moses was born into a river for crying out loud. Jesus, from the day that they announced his birth, there was, there was, a, there was that, the, the thing that was set out to, to have him killed. There was an order issued that he might be killed. And the moment that we said yes to Jesus, there was a demonic target that was placed upon your back from this sinful world and people that would not want to belong to Jesus. The apostles' church, their lives weren't full of popularity or, or status. They weren't envied. It was those that God would use to boldly preach the gospel. And very little did we ever see their reward on earth. But they had a great, great reward in heaven, church. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in this world. But you know what? I've, I've been able to acquire a few things in my years of living. And guess what? They all fade. They all rust. They all break down. They're all temporary, church. And the one reward that will never fail is the reward that you will one day receive in heaven. That reward is eternal. And that reward will last forever. I don't know about you, but that's the reward I'm going for. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He says we're perplexed, but we're not in despair he says, we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He says, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. See, Paul fully understood, church, the reasons for persecution, and yet he would choose to carry the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus could be revealed in his life. He knew what the scripture meant when it said in 2 Timothy verse 3, chapter 3, and verse 12, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, he wrote it, right? He should know what it means. <laughs> Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You might say, Pastor Duke, I've never been persecuted. I would ask, are you living a godly life? Say it one more time. You might have never been a threat to the enemy or never have been received any kind of you know, ridicule or criticism or mockery because of your faith in Jesus or your belief in God. And here it says that what? Everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but those who don't live a godly life probably won't be persecuted. It's the righteousness of God living in us 
through the power of the Holy Spirit that the enemy can't stand. It's the righteousness of God living inside of your heart that, that irks the enemy, that irks the, that, the, the principalities of darkness because they know they cannot touch you. They can mess with you. They can talk about you. They can say all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, they know who has your soul. They know it belongs to Jesus. We have to ask ourselves that question, am I a threat to the principalities of darkness? Am I a threat to Satan's rule? You see, a righteous life, one that is in constant pursuit of a relationship with Jesus, one that's in constant fellowship and communion with him, is a threat to Satan and the principalities of hell. I'll remind you, church, that Satan is of limited power. Satan is of limited resource. Satan is of limited demons and principalities. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient like God is. He doesn't have access to all things. He, he can't do, but he can only mess with those that he knows are worth spending time on. He knows that he'll only spend time because he's like, you know what? These guys are for real. Everybody else, I already got them. But the person that's living the righteous life, the person that's living a godly life, they are the ones that the enemy will target. The verse clearly tells us that you are blessed when you are persecuted because of righteousness. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, it says. What an honor, church, to be called and to serve an almighty God. What an honor it is to know Jesus as Lord. Think about that. There's people in this world that don't know about Jesus. And yet we do and we find that freedom in him. We find that power and the love and the grace of God in him, church. It is an honor and it's a privilege. And even it's an honor and privilege to suffer for a cause that's greater than yourself. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, he says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. I love what it says. If you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you're blessed. You might not feel blessed in the moment. You might not feel encouraged in the moment. You might not feel like, wow, thank you for criticizing me. But if Jesus says you're blessed, then you're blessed. Amen. If God says because of this that you have to suffer and endure and go through, listen, because of my name, I'm going to bless you. That's the kind of blessing that I want, church. That's the kind of blessing that I want to, to get from the Lord, to know that because I suffered for him, that he would choose to bless my life in such a powerful, powerful way. He says, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The spirit of God's goodness, his glory, it rests upon your life. Righteousness. Everybody say, we need righteousness. What an awesome privilege. But how is being tortured? How is being persecuted? How is being mocked and outcast and suffering? How is it good? You see, when anything, church, that is done because of Christ and anything that Christ asks of us, it's always good. Because he turns every situation and suffering and persecution that you face around for his glory. And at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about him. Amen. I want us to take another perspective on this subject. For those of you who have never maybe fully stepped into the righteousness of God and righteous living. And a plan for your life that God has, has laid out for you. Maybe you've never even stepped in there. Then I want to say this carefully, but here's the truth. You might need an experience with the enemy. Because some of you might be living a lukewarm life. Because you don't even know that you have an enemy that exists. 
Let me put it another way. Some of you might think, oh, well, you know, we're not really in a war. But until a bullet whizzes past your head, and you go, whoa, then you might take it more serious. And you might understand, like, oh, wait, this thing is real. I'll never forget one of a, a family member had asked me years ago, and he's telling me, he's like, yeah, I believe in God. He's like, but I don't believe in the devil. He said, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I said, you can't have God without the devil. I said, and you can't have heaven without hell. They're both in existence. You can't just presume to believe one and not believe that the other doesn't exist. And the truth about Satan is Satan's last card is always when he fully reveals himself to somebody. And he does so at a moment where that seed of God, of the word of God, is about to be planted into the life of an individual. There's a difference between a seed hitting soil and a seed taking root. There's seeds that go about the world every single day. The word of God's being preached and people are listening to the word of God. But listen, has it taken root in your life? This is what I'm talking about, about your relationship with God actually being fully established, that you're walking in the calling and in the plan of God for your life. Let me get to the point. Simon Peter, how many of you remember him? Simon Peter, Peter, the apostle Peter, he was allowed by Jesus to be challenged by Satan. And this experience that he was about to have would be one that would later cause him to fully surrender in that moment. I said something a little bit earlier about, you know, thinking that, you know, we're ready to die for Jesus or we're ready to be persecuted for Jesus, but you won't talk to somebody at Walmart. Well, Peter's going to illustrate this for us really, really nice in Luke chapter 22. Verse 31, Jesus is speaking. He says, Simon, Simon, he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, this is Simon Peter. He said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. That's a bold statement. Amen? That's a big statement. I'm ready to go to prison with... For you, Jesus, because I just cut off a dude's ear and I thought it was right. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. I'm ready, man. I've sold myself out. And verse 34. Everybody say verse 34. 34. It doesn't take very long for the Lord to expose us. <laughs> Amen. Some of us have prayed real big, bold prayers. I know I have. Two seconds later, I'm like failing God. Two seconds later, I fall flat on my face. I thought I had the substance of faith needed, necessary in my life to be able to walk out whatever I boldly proclaimed I would do for God. And God's like, you ain't ready, son. You're not ready. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. A moment before that, he prays for him, right? He says, Peter, I pray that your faith may not fail. What happened here was Satan asked to test and see if Simon Peter would fail God. He asked Jesus for permission to see if Peter was really standing like he thought he was. And Peter, being next to Jesus, thought that he couldn't possibly fail. You got the open book test right next to you. You got, you got the Savior, man. I mean, he's right there. It's like... Rub shoulders with him. He'll strengthen you. Right? You know, some of it will rub off in your life, and all of a sudden you'll be like, man, I'm ready. I, how could I possibly fail God? But what happened next shocked Peter because even after he pledged his allegiance to Jesus, he failed. Now we have to ask the question, what went wrong? Did Peter believe in Jesus? Of course he believed in Jesus. But there's a difference between Believing and serving. There's a difference between saying one thing and actually professing him as Lord. I'll share this experience with you because I think you need to hear this. When the Lord began to call me into ministry at the age of like 19, I remember I believed in Jesus. Prayed the sinner's prayer when I was 15 years old. And Sister Eva, my dear sister, I always pick on her, but it was her birthday last week. Amen. Woo! Praise God for another birthday. 
But this woman was a woman that God used to lead me to Jesus. And I'll eternally thank you for that day. March of 1998. Some of y'all weren't even born. Y'all were just a little baby. But when I said yes to Jesus and I received him into my heart and into my life, there's a process that happens for him to fully become Lord. Do you know that the disciples walked with Jesus for three years before they ever really began to know him as Lord? It took them a little while to get there. It took them a little while to, to not believe what everybody else was saying about him. And for me, it took me time. I said yes to Jesus, but I wasn't living like him. That seed was there. It was in my heart. It began to do something. And it was at that, that pivotal point where it was about to emerge from, from, from the ground of my heart. It was about to burst forth, and God was about to do something in my life. And God called me, and I knew he called me, and I was ready to, to live for him. I was ready to do something for him. And guess what? I had an experience with Satan. I'll never forget one night I was, I was just finished praying. I had just finished reading the word and I'm laying in bed and I see a cloud, a black cloud, the blackest thing that you've ever seen. It came into my room and I had seven sets of hands begin to just pin me down into my bed. It felt like there was 5,000 pounds on top of me. I had a set of hands on my neck. I had sets of hands on my arms, on my waist and on my ankles. And I'm sitting there and I'm being pinned down in my room Fully awake, by the way. It's not a dream. It's not a figment of my imagination. You all might think I'm crazy enough. After you hear the story, you'll know that I'm really crazy. I'm just kidding. Seven sets of hands are pressing me down into the bed, and I immediately understood that this was Satan. It's the first time he ever revealed himself to me. Before, there was a difference. It was temptation and it was other things, but I had never experienced, you know, or, or, or gone face to face with the enemy like this. And I began to rebuke Satan in my head. I began to say, I rebuke you, devil. I couldn't speak, though. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even get a word out because I was literally having the life choked out of me. And I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in my head. I rebuke you, Satan, in my head. I rebuke you, Satan. And finally, I believed it. Finally, I understood that the one that I professed was the only answer to get this thing off of my life. And in my mind, there was something that happened. It was a connection of my heart and my mind. I wasn't just saying it. I actually believed that Jesus could do it. And I said, Satan, I rebuke you. And immediately he left. And to make matters more interesting, I had to fact check what just happened. I turned on all the lights and I ran to my bathroom and I had marks on my arms. And I had marks on my neck. And I'll tell you that that experience with the enemy, what it did, it caused me to stay up all night and read my Bible with the lights on. I think I fell asleep at like 4 or 5 in the morning because I was like, I don't know what just happened. But Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. And there's a difference between, oh, man. There's a difference between temptation and a test. See, some of you keep failing a test that God actually allowed Satan to perform in your life. Because you thought you were ready. And you thought you were bold enough. And you thought you were strong enough. But let me tell you something, church. Every single season, every single trial that you go through, every single moment of suffering, you want to know what it does in your life? It will always reveal the cracks in your foundation. It will always reveal the areas in your life where you are weakest, where you're not ready. You think, oh man, I'm ready. And man, all of a sudden God just shows you and reveals that there's a huge crack in your life. You say, oh God, I'm ready to receive a blessing. And then your friend gets a new car and you're all jealous. What happened? Your heart was revealed. You're like, oh, man, I want the blessing for me, Jesus. Come on, rain down on me. And somebody else gets blessed, and you can't be happy for them. We say, oh, man, it's the devil. No, 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 it's not the devil. 
It's Jesus. He's revealing what's in your heart. He's bringing something to the surface so that it can be addressed. Jesus brings testing. The enemy brings temptation. Don't mix up the two because God will do the testing and God is always looking if you're going to pass the test. Some of you have been stuck in a season that seems like a revolving door. Listen to me, friend. Pass the test. Rely on Jesus and, and address the thing that he has brought to the forefront of your heart and of your life. Don't blame it on Satan. You think you're having a battle with Satan. No, 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 my friend. You're being disobedient to God. There's a big difference. Like I said, the devil can't be everywhere all the time. This message ain't about the devil. I better stop mentioning his name. What happened for Peter was he had to fully make up his mind. Jesus knew that Peter truly wasn't ready to follow him. That's what the whole experience was about. He wasn't ready to follow him. Many people are like Matthew 13, where it says the seed falling on rocky ground refers to somebody who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. It says when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, when you are rooted in Jesus and the word of God is alive in your life, guess what? When the trouble and the persecution comes, all of a sudden it should make you a little bit stronger. It's like, it's like a tree that's getting blown around by the wind. You know, when it's got deep roots, guess what? It's not going to topple over. Because it's as strong under the foundation as it is... For everybody to see. You see, you cannot fake it till you make it to get to heaven. You cannot play the religious role or try to look a certain way in front of people, but have no root system in Jesus. Let your roots grow in him, amen? Let your roots grow deep in the Lord. It's important. We need to be thankful for the testing, amen? We need to be thankful for the pressing and the sifting because it's only because of that refiner's fire that the impure things that are hidden in our hearts will finally come to the surface, amen? Quickly, three things that I have to share with you about why we will suffer for Jesus. Believers will suffer persecution because you are not of this world. Amen. I say you will suffer persecution in this world because you are not of this world. We are separated through Jesus and our behavior and our connection to the world. So therefore the world will react to you. John 15 and verse 18 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. He says, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. See, Jesus forewarns us and he makes us recall that he too was hated. That he too was persecuted. That he too went through all of these things. And because of your belief in him, that we will suffer the same. That's the facts. Amen. I'll go on to the second point is this, is that we will suffer with Christ because a righteous life, write this down, a righteous life exposes sinful living. People will hate you because the demonstration of a righteous life, a life that does not compromise with the world and its sinful behavior, that living, that righteous living, it exposes the sins of other people. Jesus was there and he was just embodied with the power of God and he was walking around with the righteousness and the purity and the holiness of God and people hated him for it. They hated him for it because they knew that he had something that they didn't possess. They were bothered by the fact because, because their carnal minds, their flesh, all the things they knew that they didn't possess what this man possessed. It was the church, it was the religious leaders that would be the ones that would be calling out, you know, his name and choosing Barabbas and saying, you know what, we want to free Barabbas, but we want to crucify that other guy. Because he's foiling our plans in the church. He's messing everything up that they had set up to establish, to control people and to manipulate people. And Jesus came in and he tore the veil and tore it all apart. 
And they hated him for it. John 15 and 22, he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Oh, man. If Jesus hadn't opened his mouth, the righteous son of God, they would have what? They would have not been guilty of sin. He says, now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. You see, a righteous life, you walk around in this world not because you think you're better than everybody, but a righteous life will cause somebody to notice and to know that thing that they're lacking in their life, to know that they're not living for him. The new, uh, I'm sorry, the King James version of that same verse in John 15, 22, he said, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. He says, now they have no cloak for their sin. That word cloak means covering. Because he spoke, they have nothing to hide behind. Because of the way that you live your life, because of the, the, the fact that you are a person that is sold out for Jesus and you're living solely for him. Listen, that will expose the things in other people. It will irritate you know, their evil deeds. It will bother them because they say, man, what is this thing that they have? They have no covering for their unrighteousness because righteousness, church, is a light that always exposes darkness. Righteous living is a light that will always expose the deeds of the dark. Romans 1 and verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are with what? They are without excuse. That means because Jesus has come and he has walked on this earth, there was a moral standard that was set by the principalities of heaven that said, hey, hang on a second. You got to have him. And he's the only way. And there's no other way to righteousness. There's no other way to be right before God, to have your sins wiped away and to be forgiven in right standing with, with God unless you have Jesus. And this is why people get angry and frustrated with you because they think sometimes that Christians think they're perfect. Anybody ever told you that? Oh, you think you're so perfect. I'm like, I don't look too bad. I mean, you know. Guys, why don't you laugh? Some of y'all don't get my jokes. They're just going over your head. Too fast for you. Yeah, I'm perfect. Yeah, thanks. This is why people think that Christians are perfect. Because here's the deal, in the believer's pursuit of holiness and righteousness, it exposes those who aren't seeking God. And they go, oh, well, you think you're all that. No, 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 never said that. But I do serve one who is perfect. Amen. Amen. I do serve one who is holy. I do serve one who is righteous. We're not the ones that are perfect. I wrote a song years ago that was, said this, we are an imperfect people with a perfect God. Not the picture of who we are, but who he saw. That's the deal. We are fa valuable people. We're mortal beings. But because Christ lives and has taken residence inside of our hearts, we have attained something that we could have never gotten for ourselves. I heard it said this way one time, your spirit angers their demons and your light exposes their darkness and your righteous living convicts always their sinful behavior. And finally, you will suffer persecution like Jesus because the world does not know God, nor does it know Christ. The ungodly people of this world, the ungodliness in this world, want no God other than themselves and their own imagination. The Bible says, you know, for, for some that their God, their, the, their God will be their stomach. It'll be their appetite for evil deeds. It'll be their appetite to satisfy their flesh and to satisfy their own desires and not what God desires nor demands. And it's the godly believer that dedicates his or her life fully to God, to his worship, to his service. And the ungodly, they want no part of God. And so therefore they oppose those who talk about God and man's duty to honor and worship God. John 16 and verse 3 says, They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. You see, they will come after you. They will say things about you. They'll persecute you. They'll try to keep things from your life. They'll do all these things because they don't know the Father. They don't know Jesus. 
It's their lack of their knowledge of God that makes them reject the true nature of the Lord. Look at the testimony of Paul. He was a person that lived to persecute the church. That was on Paul's resume before he ever gave his heart fully to Jesus. He criticized Christians. He criticized believers because guess what? Paul had never encountered their God. Paul thought it was his civil duty to persecute the church. And one day the Bible says that he had that experience on the road called Damascus where he went blind and all of a sudden he, he didn't know why he went blind. He didn't know what was happening. He's like, he's like Paul, you're persecuting me. Who's you? It's like, Jesus. Paul's thinking like, no, no, I'm persecuting these other people. They don't know what they're doing. He's like, no, no, no. You're persecuting me, Paul. You've got it all backwards. And he had a true encounter with Jesus that would change his future for good. That would turn him from being Saul to Paul. And I want us to think about this, and I want to leave you with this thought. The very people that could be mocking you one day could be transformed another. And it's how you respond to the retaliation. It's how you respond to the persecution. It's how you are silent in those moments when you need to be silent. It's how you display the glory and the, the nature of Jesus in your life that will say more to people about the God that you serve than the point that you're trying to prove. Amen. Isaiah 50 verse 6, he says, I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. He said, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Matthew 5 and 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Stephen was the first martyr of the church and he was killed for being, believing in Jesus. And he spoke these words in Acts 7 and verse 55. It says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there. This is the key. <laughs> being full of the Holy Spirit, my friends. Amen. Being full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. He looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices and they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that guy? You see, the death of that man had a great impact on all those that witnessed it that day. And the one that they thought they did it, the ringleader of them all, Saul, he was present. He was there that day. And he would recount later on in life of that moment. He would remember that moment later on in his life. The Bible says in Acts 22, verse 19, he says, Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another and to imprison and beat those who believed in you. He said, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. You see, the very man that participated in bringing a man to death would be later greatly transformed by a powerful encounter with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, when the persecution comes, respond like Jesus. When the ridicule comes, respond like Jesus. When the hate comes because you believe, respond like Jesus and stay firm in your faith. Hang on to him. 
Cling on to him. Ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. Because even if in that moment you feel like you might want to deny you know, Jesus because you don't know what's going to happen to you or what they're going to say. You don't know if your job's at stake. You don't know what the deal is. Listen, my friends, hang on to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will strengthen you. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you so that you can stand when you have no reason to stand. Because one day, that Saul could turn into a Paul. One day, God could use the very persecutor to be the very one that would later be imprisoned himself for preaching the name of Jesus. For telling the world about Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, I love this verse. Verse 11 says this. They triumphed over him. This is the enemy. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And it says, and they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. As I ask you to stand tonight, I'll say this, Christ and Stephen alike, they both witnessed the greatest miracle of all and that was the promised kingdom that had awaited them they witnessed it and they beheld the reward of their suffering they beheld that great place where Jesus said in John 14 he said if I go and prepare a place for you it's because I'm going to return and my friends I want to encourage you when the world would say, hey, don't think about anything else. Follow everything that we're telling you. The Bible says that broad is the path to destruction, but narrow is the path to life. And few find it. My friends, listen to me very carefully. Jesus is coming. And we need to be fully surrendered to him. Fully surrendered and fully following him. I don't know how much more time we have left in this world, but I'll say this much. Whenever he's ready, I'm ready. Amen. Whenever he's ready, we're ready. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.